Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka, and I am so excited for our guest today because with me, I have Alicia Butler-Pierre from Equilibria. Thanks for being here today, Alicia. Thank you for having me. And I'm noticing that part of my E has fallen down on my wall. So let me just kind of change the angle of my camera there so that we can just hide that. Yeah, there yeah. we go. There we go. We're good. <laughs> We're good. So Alicia, awesome having you here today. You know, uh, Kurt and I talked to you a while back on the Manufacturing E-Commerce e Success Show. Mm -hmm. And man, we were talking about building business or business infrastructure there. And that's why I wanted to have you come back and talk about building an effective business infrastructure, because it is a problem that most business people don't consider and probably mm -hmm. one of the most important things they should consider. Absolutely. So at least I think so. And I know you think so. We'll talk about it in a moment, but let's just back up a moment because I want to do a little bit of a proper introduction of you, because I think, I think we're just going to go and talk about this a little bit. Okay. All right. Alicia is on a quest to revolutionize the way small businesses operate. She does this by speaking, coaching, writing, lecturing, and podcasting. Now you have a bet. You're a best-selling author behind the facade. It is the world's first published book on business infrastructure. So behind the facade, people, if you have if you haven't gotten it, get it. And let's see, adjunct professor of lean principles at Purdue University and University and operations management at Nichols College, a chemical engineer turned on entrepreneur. And you have advised, designed, and optimized processes for organizations like Coca-Cola. Shell Oil, the Library of Congress, and Home Depot. That is awesome. correct. Thank you, Damon. Thank you awesome very much. Stuff. It's great because I think that gives us a little perspective of who we're really talking to here. <laughs> I promise there's so much more to me than... <laughs> Than what I, you just read. <laughs> we will get into that because that's the that's the cool business stuff. That's the things that happen. So right, right. Let's let's start out and back up a little bit. Okay. Growing up, you're in high school. Mm -hmm. What drew you to go to school for chemical engineering? Okay. Well, I wish I could tell you that it was clean, a clean linear path of getting there, but it was not. And I know awesome. you already, I know you already know this story, Damon, but for your listeners and for those who are watching us right now live, I actually wanted to be a journalist. That was my first love. That was my passion. I loved English, my English classes. I loved literature and I wanted to be a journalist, but 
around the time that I was a junior in high school, I remember taking chemistry and I, div I realized I had an aptitude for chemistry. And by the time I got into my senior year of high school, instead of taking physics, which was, you know, you know, at, at my high school, we, I went to a magnet high school. So you had to take, you, you still had to take a science class in your, your senior year. Most people took physics. I actually took an advanced chemistry course. And I can remember during my senior year, at some point, my teacher, Mrs. Kablis, who actually was Ukrainian, um, interestingly enough, but she took a particular interest in my life beyond high school. Mm -hmm. And she started to ask me, what was I going to major in? So as I was filling out all of these different applications to apply for different universities and colleges, she was just curious, like, what, you know, what are you planning to major in? And I said, well, chemistry, because I really like it. I'm really good at it. And she said, you know, you might want to rethink that because if you want to make money coming out of school as a chemist, you would, you would have to go all the way up to the PhD level. But if you choose chemical engineering, you can go to school, get an undergraduate degree, and you can come out making great money right away in four or five years. So the motivating factor was money at the end of the day. There you I was going to tell you it was because, wow, you know, I, I, I heard about chemical engineering. I, I really liked it. I was drawn to it. I knew other engineers. No, that was not the case for me at all. I literally went with something that my teacher told me I trusted her and I went for it. And that is how I, I ended up studying and studying chemical engineering and eventually working as a chemical engineer. Cool. So when you got out and you were doing, you started out and working in chemical engineering, what what were a couple things that really surprised you about when you started working in chemical engineering? One of the things that surprised me was the fact that I didn't understand the business of, I, I was making Roundup. So I was making poison. Um, I was making, uh, and I always tell people, don't judge me, don't judge. <laughs> but I was working for Monsanto and I was making Roundup and our daily production schedules could be very erratic, Damon. One day you could be told to operate at 100% capacity. The very next day you may be told to scale it back by 50%. And then the day after that, you might be told to shut down altogether. And then after that, you're back running full throttle again. So what seemed to be just erratic decision leaders or decision makers, excuse me, was really rooted in supply and demand, market fluctuations, but mm -hmm. I didn't have an appreciation for that. I, I just, I was in my own little zone. I was in my silo and I was literally just, just acting out on whatever orders or commands I was given without having an appreciation for the business of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so I realized probably about my second year working as an engineer, like I am grossly deficient in the language of business. I don't understand it. I don't speak it. When I hear it, it's, it's, I may as well literally hear another language. I don't understand it. And so I decided to go back to school, to business school. So I was pursuing an MBA. I was going to school at night, working full-time during the day. 
that was one major thing that I learned. Um, another major thing that I learned was the people issues mm -hmm. that exist in companies. Uh, <laughs> so it was interesting because while I, I didn't under, I knew the technical part of my job. I knew that. I could, I could do the calculations. I could monitor the process and figure out what went wrong and at what point, those kinds of things. The technical aspect had it, had it down pat. So I didn't understand the language of business, but I also did not have an appreciation for people dynamics, team dynamics. And what do you do when someone sabotages something in the process? because they're angry about something that somebody else did. And they're just, I didn't, I didn't learn those kinds of things when I was in school, but that was the reality of working on the job. Mm -hmm. You can have the best ideas in the world and things that you want to get executed, but if you don't have strong people skills, strong interpersonal communication skills, you are not going to get it done. I would say those are the two most important lessons, Damon that I personally learned during my stint as an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Those are great. Yes. That is similar. The business side of it, I really had a, a wake up call in my, in, in one of my few, few jobs into mine is I worked with some people that were, um, had come out of the uh, management financial consulting area. And I'm an engineer, right? I understand how to run, like you said, run facilities, run processes, mm -hmm. and those guys run businesses. But I did not know the financial side of it. And it really is something that first time when you sit there and you're, you're really, really skilled in a certain part of the business. But when you hear, like you said, almost a foreign language going on, mm -hmm. you realize, I need to either you want to learn more about it or you want to run in the other direction. <laughs> so that's great. That's great. So as you, as you're going along, mm -hmm. what really was the, the tipping point or the point where you just said, I want to have my own business. Great question. Because again, it wasn't planned. I, well, I, sh I shouldn't say that. I had always dabbled in little side hustles. Yeah. Starting when I was 11, I'm sorry, seven years old. My very first side hustle, the, the daycare that I would go to after, after school, I would actually make money by doing little simple chores around the daycare. I would sweep the carport or the driveway. I might just do things. It, don't worry, you know, no child protection, yeah. no child labor laws were violated. Yeah. yeah. But it was enough for me to to make a little money, you know, and to a seven-year-old, you know, yeah. five dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. Right. You can I, at that time I could buy a lot of candy with that five dollars. You bet. Um, but I always had something that I I always had a way of making money especially when I was in high school. I had all, did all kinds of things. So I would sell candy. I would do all kinds of things to, to make money. But when, when I was living in New Orleans, so that's where I was when I was working as a chemical engineer in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And there was a really bad tropical storm around August, 
September of 2004. And I remember being stuck in my home, thinking I was, I was fully prepared, Damon, to meet my maker. I, I was. I, I really thought I was going to die because I was in my house. I was alone and the water just kept rising. And that is a scary feeling, let me tell you. And eventually the rain stopped, the water pumps were turned on, you know, the water receded. It's disgusting after yeah. a hurricane. It is after any kind of a flood, it's absolutely disgusting. Um, but I just remembered after that, I just had this thought, this intuitive feeling, this, this gut feeling that I needed to get out and get out quick, fast and in a hurry. At that time, I was working for a family owned engineering consulting firm. I abruptly quit that job. So this was like, again, September 2004. Mm -hmm. I graduated with my MBA from Tulane University by that December. The following January 2005, I put my house up for sale. It sold within a week. And I relocated Damon to Atlanta, Georgia, where I knew one person at the time. And I looked at Atlanta compared to New Orleans. Atlanta was a, a land of milk and honey. Okay. I, I, I remembered studying and reading about the, the large corporate presence here. You know, the, mm -hmm. the fact that Coca-Cola is headquartered here and Delta Airlines, Chick-fil-A, Home Depot. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to move to Atlanta. And who wouldn't want to hire me? I'm I have this engineering background. I'm a newly minted MBA. I have this great combination. And I got here, Damon. And the competition is fierce because there are a lot of really smart, bright, intelligent people who live here. And I remember thinking I wanted to work at Coca-Cola. I wanted to work at Coca-Cola because I studied about them as a company so much when I was working on my MBA. And I thought it would be really cool if I could work there. But as fate would have it, um, after about, it only took me a good 60 days of what seemed to be endless job searching, soulless job searching. Because mm -hmm. at that point, that was it was right around the time when things were starting to transition to being online. Yes. Um, and it just seemed like you you go through all of the rigor of tailoring your resume and a cover letter and you're submitting these applications online and then you never hear anything back and it was it was just soul crushing and after again after about 60 days of that through some introspection i started reflecting on well what is it that i'm really good at what are my natural skills talents and abilities can i build a business around that Mm -hmm. And through that introspection, I realized I've always had a knack for organizing things. Every job that I ever had, even when I was a teenager flipping burgers, <laughs> I, I excelled at my jobs, not because I was the smartest person in the room or the sharpest knife in the drawer. I did well because I was very organized and I've always been process oriented. And so I literally went online, started doing some searching and figured out that there was an actual professional association for organizers called NAPO, which is the National Association of Professional Organizers. I joined that organization. 
I went to an Office Depot. I bought one of those Avery business card packs that you can feed into a desk jet or an inkjet yep. printer. And I made myself some business cards, Damon. And I just started going to different chambers of commerce, different networking events. And I, I as they say, you know, I hung up my shingle and I just, I just started putting myself out there. And when I first started my company, Equilibria, it was a professional organizing company. Again, this was 2005. So keep in mind, I, I relocated to Atlanta in February of 2005. Six months later, Hurricane Katrina happened in New Orleans. Oh. So talk about dodging I mean. a bullet. I mean, yeah. So remember, and, and the reason I, I like to share that part of my story is because for those who are listening to us right now, watching us right now, sometimes we have these, again, these, these intuitive thoughts and feelings and we can't explain it. It seems so irrational, but sometimes they just won't go away. And I'm so glad I paid attention to it because it did seem crazy. I had a nice life, Damon, in New Orleans. I really did. I had a home. I rented out the front part of my house. I would travel, I was young, I was single, I didn't have any children, I was completely, I used to say that I was single, sexy, and free. There you go. <laughs> and and I, I had a great life and I, I disrupted all of that to venture into the unknown. I took a bet on myself and everybody around me thought that I was absolutely crazy oh yeah yeah so imagine you you have this feeling you act on it nobody everybody expects you to fail everybody expects you oh she'll be back home don't worry she'll be back she'll realize the error of her ways but i never i've been here now for gosh 18 years coming up yeah. on 18 years nice. yeah and and i I never looked back. It has not been easy. I do want to be very clear about that. It has not been easy, but I could not imagine what my life would be like had I not made that decision. I am a much, I am a much, a much more well-rounded, more experienced, much more traveled person today I believe than I would have been had I stayed in New Orleans. Very cool. Very cool. Yes. So you, you just, you're going to hang out your shingle and now you're going down the roadways and you look through your history and you go, it, it wasn't very long. And you decided that you wanted to start working on business infrastructure. Right. How did, how did that come about? I mean, cause you, you, you just go, <laughs> How would you choose that? <laughs> the way that happened, I started I started Equilibria in 2005 and about two about 2 years after that, I received a phone call from a district attorney's office. And it was from the district attorney herself. And I'll never forget I I was so nervous. I thought I was in trouble. I thought I had yeah. done something wrong because she she rattled off her name and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is this person calling me?" 
But it turns out she had seen me on a local television program. And she was interested in having me come to her office and get some, get things organized. And that's when I realized, Damon, and I know this is, this is really going to be me showing my age and my naivete at that time in life, because I was about 20, 29, 30 years old at this time. And I, I'll never forget when I went over there and I'm listening, I'm talking to her and I'm talking to her executive assistant and some of the other attorneys. And I remember walking back to my car thinking, wow, so organizations are disorganized too? Companies are disorganized? Like I didn't have a concept of that because yeah. I came from a very structured environment when I mm -hmm. worked as an engineer. Everything, everything was orderly. There were processes for everything. Yeah, yeah. So I, I truly had never been exposed to a chaotic situation in, in, in any other type of working environment. Yeah. And I remember being a part of a networking group at the time called Power Core. And I went to a Power Core meeting and I befriended a lady who was a marketing consultant. And she said, you know, Alicia, every time I listen to you and you're starting to do more and more of these commercial quote air quotes commercial projects you're getting further and further away from professional organizing let me do a branding I, I forgot what she called it i don't remember if it was called a brand assessment a brand evaluation but whatever it was she i credit jill pullen with telling me strongly suggesting to me you know, you need to stop referring what to what you're doing as professional organizing, especially when you're working with these businesses, because what you're really doing is you're going in there and you're putting in place a business infrastructure. And that's, I didn't know what that was. So I literally defined what it was. <laughs> and maybe i'm bullheaded about this damon just stubbornly just decided to stick with business infrastructure the reason i say that is because it is a blessing and a curse it's a mm -hmm. blessing in the sense that there are not a lot of people out there in the world that talk about it but it is a curse in the sense that there aren't a lot of people out there in the world talking about it so when the companies that i my company works with when they are seeking assistance and support and they go online, they don't use the words business infrastructure. They're using all kinds of other keywords mm -hmm. to try to find a company like Equilibria. So it's a great thing to be, to have that first mover advantage in your space, but just know for those who are listening right now, it means you have to work that much harder to educate people about what it is you do, what business or whatever your topic or product or service is, you just have to work a lot harder to, to get the information out there. You, you truly have to educate before you can even begin selling. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And that's a great point because you're right. You, you uh, put something together that many people didn't know much about, but they, uh, so you got to show them what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So you, so you get into business infrastructure, you start using it, you start, you, you and you start developing a system. Mm -hmm. Now I can't say it, but tell me the name of your system. 
It's called Kasenu. Kasenu. Yes. So Ka and Senu, which are two ancient Egyptian words. Ka is ancient Egyptian for spirit. And Senu is ancient Egyptian for like twin or similitude or clone. So okay. the idea is that once you've figured out your secret sauce, like once you've really figured out what is it that keeps your customers coming to you, how can you clone or replicate that over and over and over again? How can you clone the spirit or the essence of what makes your company so great? Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, and then, I mean, you went, you, what you wrote, wrote a book about business infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming talking about your process and, and the cloning the secret sauce. So as you're helping people do this, what, what are some of the things that they say once they've seen what you can help them do? The things that they say, because the, because of the way we actually deliver the services, because of the, the framework that we actually use, <laughs> one of the, one of the things that surprises people is how, how we use visual aids to mm -hmm. quickly help people get the information that they need. So, that, because they, they, they don't want to do this. They yeah. don't want to do it because it's, it's, it's getting into the nitty gritty details and they think it's because it's operations, it's going to be so boring and they, they just don't want to be bothered with it. But mm -hmm. when I put up something like this, I'm holding up a stick figure. Yeah. When I start showing little index cards and things like that, and I say, you know what, we're going to take stick figures and index cards, two very simple, low, you know, low cost tools. We're going to take everything that you do. We're going to get that information out of the heads of you and your team members, put that onto those index cards, spread everything around, figure out who's supposed to be doing what. We're going to use stick figures to figure, help us figure that out. And because it's so interactive and it's hands-on, we're standing mm -hmm. up the whole time, people really get into it okay. and they get excited. Like, wow, that was a lot of work. But that was also a lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. How did we do that? I did a workshop, Damon, just last month with a very large company because I we, we typically work with small businesses, but there are times when we work with much larger organizations as well. And so this is a large publicly traded company and they had this particular team was tasked with coming up with all of the processes that they needed to document. Mm -hmm. And we're, they were scratching. I mean, literally everybody expected the worst. They really did. You know, there were all kinds of personalities in the room. Um, and we were, we were, we had to get this done in three days. Normally something that I would prefer to stretch out over 45 to 60 days, we had to get done in three days because people were coming from all over the country to this one location, they knew it just would be too prohibitively expensive mm -hmm. to try to have these on-site in-person sessions and spread them out over several weeks. So they said, listen, you gotta get it done within, within this time frame." And so 
we were in a room huddled together and there was conversation, Damon, conversations that never took place before. People mm -hmm. were saying things like, wow, I didn't know you did it that way. Well, why? And, and you know what? That's, we actually use a tool for, for that part of, of our process. So did you hear about that? Oh, you didn't? Or, you know, we're actually doing the same thing. Who, who, who would have thought? So that's what happens when, when I'm working with companies of any size. They're having the conversations. They get really into these exercises. They're highly interactive. And again, we're using all kinds of different visual aids mm -hmm. to help them get that information, wrap their heads around it that much quicker. So some of the outputs from all of this, when we talk about business infrastructure, we're helping them figure out what work needs to be done, who ideally should do that work. Because remember, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And especially for uh, CEOs of small founders and CEOs of smaller businesses, we're, we're, we're wearing so many hats. But when you go through an exercise like this, the, the point of it is to help you figure out, yeah, you might be doing this today, but are you really the best person to, to perform that particular task? Should you really be spending your time doing that when you could be doing something else to help bring more business into the, you know, to help generate more business? So we have those conversations. The outputs are, uh, I'm sorry, getting back to the four questions. What work needs to be done? How is that work organized into departments? Who will perform that work? And how is that work performed? And the outputs of these different exercises with all these visual aids, they have their job descriptions now, which are much mm -hmm. more succinct, much more transparent, and much more comprehensive. They also have an organizational chart that they can now use as a growth strategy plan to share with other people on the team. They also have a guide for how they can organize their physical records as well as their digital records and files. It also gives them an idea of how to best lay out their physical workspace. And then finally, it helps them figure out what processes do they need to document? And then they can actually begin to, to document those processes. So that, that in, it, in its totality, all of those pieces together form business infrastructure. It is literally linking the people, the processes, and all of the different tools and technologies that you're using to operate your business on mm -hmm. a day-to-day -day basis, bringing all of those things together, linking them so that when there's a change in one of them, you immediately understand how it impacts the other two. Yeah. So if you hire somebody, how does that impact process? Do you even have a process? Mm -hmm. do, do they need access to certain technologies? So, so you, you don't do anything in isolation of the other elements, in other words, of the business infrastructure. That's what it's really all about. That's what helps you form a foundation that's solid enough that you can keep building, growing, and ultimately scaling without mm -hmm. the wheels falling off. Yes. Yes. As we see so many times, because of that foundation and that the, the process and the infrastructure is not there, like you said, uh, you'll get to a certain size and it starts to come apart. Yep. Yeah. Build it to last. 
build it with the intention of it lasting, even though we know it won't go on forever, mm -hmm. but at least build it with that in mind. And I always tell people, because I, you mentioned um, me and my work with Lean Six Sigma, that's one of the, the tenets of, of Lean Six Sigma is continuous improvement mm -hmm. over perfection. Because perfection can actually paralyze us because if we're, if we're in pursuit of perfection, it'll never be perfect. Mm -hmm. But if you instead say, you know what, we're going to just continuously innovate. We're gonna, going to continuously improve this because there's always room for improvement. Yes. Yes. So it's been awesome talking to you, Alicia, about business infrastructure, building effective business infrastructures, your process, your cost, the new process for building business in infrastructure. It's very good. Awesome stuff. I've, I've seen some of the videos watching you guys in action. It's, it's got to be a riot doing it because honestly, I've had to document a lot of business process and help people do it. It is, it is not the most fun thing to do. Exactly. That's great. That's great. But I do want to talk about something that I saw on LinkedIn that was, that was very interesting to me. Okay. And, and that is you are a volunteer artifact registrar and you work with American, Egyptian and British historians on an Egyptologist. What, what, <laughs> what is this? What is, what is that all about? Um, so this, this idea of building things to last. So that's yeah. a great segue. Thank you so much for that. It happens so naturally, Damon. Thank you. So when we look at these ancient civilizations, because before we started recording, you and I were talking about this. When ancient civilizations built things, they built it with the intention of it lasting forever. Mm -hmm. And that is why many of these structures are still standing to this very day. And as we were talking about before the recording started, some of it may is, is still needs to be unearthed. It may be buried, whether under land or, or under sea. Mm -hmm. But the point is, it's still there. It's intact. They took their time. They understood team dynamics. I've always been a fan of ancient civilizations, in particular, ancient Egypt. And back in 2012, I think it was, so right, gosh, 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, I had the opportunity to volunteer on a restoration project in Luxor, Egypt. Wow. And there were a team of Americans, there were a team of British uh, volunteers, and we all came together and we worked on the restoration of what's considered to be a temple tomb complex for an ancient priest, Egyptian priest, by the name of Karakamun. And uh, it, was, it was an experience I will never forget. I treasure it. I learned so much. But again, just how does that relate to business infrastructure? Again, they understood, they, they, they built things with the intention of it lasting. Here's, here's a really simple thing that I can share with you, Damon, you and your audience. I never realized this, but 
in that particular temple tomb complex, it's interesting because many people may not realize this, but the reason the, the minute someone became a pharaoh, okay, work began immediately on that person's tomb. So you can instantly tell when you go into the Valley of the Kings, for example, where many of these ancient Egyptian pharaohs were buried, or the Valley of the Queens, you can always tell who died young or who died quickly after becoming pharaoh because their tombs are much smaller. That's why the tomb of King Tut is so tiny because he was so young and he was, you know, he died very early, very early in life. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are other kings or pharaohs and their their tombs are massive. Um, but inside of this particular temple tomb complex, you can actually see, so what we consider to be hieroglyphs, what, what we call hieroglyphs in ancient Egypt, Egyptian, the term was actually the metu netter. And so you would have an apprentice actually draw the hieroglyphics first. They drew it in black ink or black paint on a stone, a stone wall. Mm-hmm. The master teacher would go behind that apprentice and make the corrections in red. It's the opposite of what we do here in the United States. Think about it. When we were kids and we were in school, our teachers always corrected things in red ink. I'm sorry, I'm saying that the opposite. They drew in red and corrected in black, I believe. Okay. That's what they, that's that's what they did in Egypt. I, I apologize. Please forgive no, me for that. Good. So that's, that's how they made the corrections. Then there was another person. So once the master teacher kind of went behind and said, no, you know, the, this isn't at the right angle or whatever, and made the corrections in black, then someone would go behind them and actually start to chisel. Yes. Carve it out. Carve yeah. it literally into the stone. And we're talking several inches deep. Like we look at most stuff now that's carved, you know, modern age is what, maybe half of an inch, maybe it's not very deep. I'm talking six, seven, eight inches deep. Again, they intended it for it to be there forever. And so they're doing that carving. Once the carvings are done, then there was another person to come behind and actually paint it. So this is this is a perfect example of not only is there a process, but there's a team dynamic that is going on and they are working in synchronization with each other. A lot mm-hmm. of us sit back today in 2023 and we marvel at what the ancients were able to do. How did they do it? A big part of it, Damon, was they were all of one accord. They all knew, you know what? We're starting on this, this structure today we know we won't see it through to completion. We'll, we'll die before this is completed, but we're going to start it anyway. And because we are all in sync with the mission and the purpose of why we're building this, we can get this done and we can do it on such a grand scale that it will last forever. Unless, you know, there's an, a, a, a yeah. force of nature that, you know, that, that wipes it out. That wipes it out. It will. It will be there. Yeah. Um. And and I think we've just over over thousands and thousands of years we've lost that. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great point in in two things. Like you said, the process, the process, and the teamwork to do it. It doesn't do it without. They don't get it done without the first person coming by and and laying down the draft 
and the second person coming by, the master coming by and say, well, no, this is how we're really going to do it. And certainly the third person making the physical changes of carving into the rock and doing that just right, that's amazing inches deep without having, I mean, and doing it without having serious errors everywhere. Exactly. Uh, Because that's not the kind of thing you want to just go, oops, you know, start over. Uh, Down to the person at the end who, who painted it, with paint that's still there, some that's of it. still today. there, that's still there. And the only reason you may not see paint when you look at some of these structures is because it's been exposed to the elements yes. over so many years. But but when you're going into a tomb, it hasn't been exposed to wind, wind or sand or anything like that. So those colors are still so fresh and wow. so vibrant. It is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And, and to your point, the, the precision and the accuracy with which all of this was done. But again, they took their time, Damon. Mm-hmm. Today, everything is about speed. Mm-hmm. I want it. I want it that I want it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'll settle for today, but I really want this yesterday. Yes. We, that's that's our we we're in this society of instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And the quality, frankly, just isn't there with a lot of products and services. Mm hmm. Because you don't have the time to do it. You don't have the time to do it. And oh, it's going to cost too much money. And I mean, yeah. think about old homes. My mm-hmm. house in New Orleans was built in 1851. Oh, my. 1851. Yeah. And when you look at the crown molding and the, the plastered yes. walls, or, you know, I'm thinking of, of like a beautiful brownstone in New York or a row house mm-hmm. in DC, I mean, or Philadelphia, and and you go inside these old these old homes, and the level of craftsmanship we just don't we just don't see that today. Yes, yes, that's sadly, true. sadly, that's true. Alicia, <laughs> thank you so much for stopping by today. We were talking about building <laughs> infrastructure, and man, we got to talk about I how, know. how that relates to so many different things and how Egyptology and, and what your, your experience is doing that, helping to restore. Oh, my goodness. It's so great to have you here today. Oh, thank, thank you, Damon. Thank you for being here. How can people get a hold of you if they want to contact you? Sure. The best way to contact me personally is probably through LinkedIn. Connect okay. with me on LinkedIn, Alicia Butler Pierre. I also have a website by the same name, aliciabutlerpierre.com. And when you go there, you can see everything. You can, you can, it'll link you to my company's website. It will take you to the book. It'll take you to the podcast. So everything about me, as well as links to all of my social profiles. Awesome. Awesome. So aliciabutlerpierre.com. And thanks so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Damon. You bet. Thanks everyone for listening. And we will be back again with another awesome person sharing their information. Hang out, Alicia. We'll talk for a moment when we're done. Okay. All right.